Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. This is episode 53 of season three. We're coming on the tail end of the season, which has been fantastic, and it's going to keep being fantastic today. We have another Texas girl on with us today. We have Heather Finks, who's a nurse practitioner in Fort Worth, Texas. So, you know, the, the Longhorns, the Stockyards, the whole thing. And I'm hearing that she's a huge fan of her hometown, too. So big Texas girl. But she owns a great med spa there called House of Beauty. She's also a trainer, a new trainer for Galderma. Also works quite a bit with, with Benev, with Mariku. And she is here today in the flesh to talk all about her journey as an entrepreneur from the age of 21 on till now, how she's been in the industry, how it's evolved, how it's changed, her perspective, her personal life, which is obviously very, very interesting too. So all the things. And Heather, welcome to our show. So glad to be here. Uh, I do love my hometown. I (laughs) think that we should definitely skip over the national championship part where I am a little embarrassed to be in Fort Worth, but we had a great year. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. Well, I read your bio this morning on one of the, you had won an award, I think, like a Dallas woman to admire or something like that, some big award. And I was reading a lot about how you love Fort Worth. And I love Dallas, like at my core, I, I say it's the greatest city in the world. And I believe that wholeheartedly. People think I'm crazy, but when you're from Texas, Texas is like its own its own country. So it's nice to hear about another Texas girl. I like it. Yes, it is. And um, yeah, people outside of Texas don't really know there's, it's separate. There's Dallas and Fort Worth. So you can't get them mixed together. And we are not the same. No, we are not. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds awful. We are not the same. No, but you have had a very interesting life, which is a fun read. I think you should write a book, by the way. You should you should 100% write a book. But I want you to give us an idea from really from the very beginning, like of your early life, kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Because I think, I think your story speaks to how no matter where you come from and what you do, you can grow up to be an amazing success. And so lay it on us. Sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, ironic that you mentioned writing a book because I'm doing that currently. Um, I grew up in a lot of adversity, very poor. And, um, you know, I think that the benefit to that is it lit a fire under me to get out. Um, My dad raised us by himself. It was just my my dad, my brother and I. Unfortunately, lots of drugs in what I what I was raised in. So I got to see a lot of um, the hardships of life. And then I ended up having my my first child at 15. And um, it was a do or die moment. It was a very pivotal moment where it was either you either figure it out and um, and go that way or I could become another statistic and not do anything with it. So um, being pregnant with my daughter at such a young age really lit a fire under me to just try to give her a better life than what I did. And I so I made a decision on that day that I was going to do things different and uh, basically do some generational change and trailblaze to a path of success versus uh, the same path of poverty that everybody in my family has uh, gone down. So how old, obviously you're 15 at this point, right? You're young. Yes. I don't know many 15-year-old kids who just like say, 
I'm going to figure this out and do it on my own. So you graduate high school, you go to nursing school, I'm guessing pretty quickly thereafter with a baby in tow. So let's think about that, Heather, because I think about your life now, you got a lot going on. How did you manage being a new mom, baby, college, thinking about being an RN, thinking about at some point soon thereafter owning a business? Like, how do you survive these things? What is what is part of your DNA that lets you do that? Because that's not how everyone's, you know, that's not how we're all made. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what's in my DNA that could tell you how I did that. But let me, I'll just paint the picture. So, um, yes, had a new baby, graduated high school. I actually decided to go to nursing school based on an idea because I didn't really have anybody to role model or guide me into what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I just kind of took a snapshot of what I had experienced in my life and remembered that my nurse that I had during my labor was awesome. So I was like, well, that sounds like a cool career path. So I kind of just blindly shot at it and uh, started at UT Arlington, which is just a smaller college and had the idea to go to nursing school, but I actually got intimidated whenever we had our first meeting and uh, the person in charge of the nursing program had mentioned to all of us that if you don't get into nursing school the first time, you can try again. If you don't get in the second time, pick a new major. And at that young age, I was like, I don't have time to do this all over again. I've got a baby, like I need to get in and out of college. And college for me was really about pride. I wanted to be the first in my family to do it, but I also had always heard like, you have to go to college. So I actually changed my major and uh, graduated with a degree in interdisciplinary studies first, which it yields the same reaction from everybody and nobody really understands what it is. And all that means is I changed my major so many times that my advisor, when we had a meeting, told me that I could just use all the classes that I had taken and form this one degree path called interdisciplinary studies. So my intention with that was to become a sales rep in medical device. And unfortunately, I graduated in 2008, right before the stock market crash. So that did not end well. And I, at that point, was a little bit older, a little bit wiser. And um, in the interim between that, I'd actually started my first company uh, running a, an office leasing company where I had a building. I, in somewhere in the middle of that, I don't know, I had blacked out during that whole entire period of my life because I was so busy. But somewhere in there, I received a license for massage therapy. So I was practicing as a masseuse. I was leasing out the other rooms to other professionals. And, um, and I was trying to graduate with that first degree. When I didn't get a job, um, I was almost married at the time. And that's when I decided to go back to school for my original plan to become a nurse because I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I knew that I could do a lot with a nursing degree outside of just working in a hospital. So doing that with a baby, I can't really tell you how I did that, but I can tell you that she was definitely the motivator. She was the mascot for the sorority that I ended up joining. Um, I had a I had a lot of support from my friends where I didn't have with my family. So it was it was an interesting path. It was very challenging, very difficult. Um, I didn't really you know live my childhood, but at the time it didn't matter because I just wanted to be successful and I wanted to make a name for myself. So uh, that's kind of how my story went with becoming a nurse. 
And I ended up working in the hospital for a couple of years and in the ER, working in the labor and delivery unit for a couple of years, which is unheard of because ER and labor delivery, they, we don't like each other. And, um, you know, I am very real with myself and, you know, just to be super transparent, I was not making a lot of money working in the hospital. And I also know that I'm not somebody that can be told what to do. I was born to be entrepreneurial. I was born to make my own rules. I was born to create an empire. And so, um, you know, having that experience of doing that at 21, that the concept of owning a med spa wasn't as foreign. So it didn't intimidate me. So I just ran in with it. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of it. Um, just to, I guess, continue that story. When I finished working in labor and delivery, I met a physician, or actually let me backtrack, I opened up a company called the Browtini Bar, and that specialized in permanent makeup. So I was one of the first in DFW to start microblading, and I remember my ex-husband at the time was like, you know, I don't know if people are going to trust you to tattoo other people's faces. And I kind of had the same attitude going into that as I had with my entire life, watch and learn. And so I, I started the Browtini Bar. It became hugely successful. And along the journey, met a physician that was wanting to uh, train an injector. And so I kind of made a deal with him and said, I will bring in my entire book of clientele to your space if you teach me how to inject. And it'll be a mutually beneficial agreement. And so he agreed, taught me. I spent a little bit of time gaining experience, learning how to be a safe injector back in 2015. And then uh, once I grew out of that position, then I started my own med spa. You've lived a life, a full <laughs> life. <laughs> but you know, not to draw a parallel, because I don't want to diminish what you said, but I think that it's the same thing about your education, right? Like not knowing what you wanted to do, not having someone to role model that for you or to walk you through it. I think about that even like coming into like being a nurse, being an aesthetic nurse, like people have no idea what to do and there's no one there to tell them what to do. And it's like, you just kind of figure yourself, figure it out, you know, on your own. It's like, what do they say that a squirrel finds a nut even in the dark, you know, every now and then I feel like some days that's my life, you know, like just figuring it out as you go. But I think people underestimate what that takes of just having the gumption to just go try it and like figure it out. And there is no path in front of you, but you know, you had mentioned a lot of things there about owning different businesses and different companies and kind of learning. And I think you are a person who kind of does your own thing. Like I, I can sympathize with that of like not being told what to do and just doing it. But you've now owned, this is number three business, right? House of Beauty is number three. Along the way, as an entrepreneur, what did you learn from like the first one or two businesses that you're like, you know what, when I do this again the third time, I'm going to do this the right way or a different way because I now know what, you know, kind of what I'm up against. You know, it was different for every business. So I guess what I learned throughout all of this is being an entrepreneur. Everybody's heard this. Being an entrepreneur is like jumping out of an airplane and figuring out how to make a parachute on the way down. Um, and then for my Texas people, if you've been to Six Flags, you can relate to this. But being an entrepreneur is like riding the Texas giant. If you're not from Texas, the Texas giant, the old school Texas giant was made out of wood. And when you're a child, you can ride it and it's fine. But as an adult, it hurts. It's bumpy. You walk away. Your neck is injured. Your back is injured. Um, the older you get, you just you don't ride it. So being an entrepreneur hurts, but it's fun. 
So, you know, I just learned to try things as long as you're trying it in a safe manner, because we're practicing medicine, as long as you're doing things safely, it's for me, I like the thrill. I like to take calculated risks. So for business, it's the same thing. Try it, see if it works. And if it doesn't, do it differently. Try again, but do it differently. So I guess that's what I've learned is, you know, you, you have to you have to be resilient. You have to have grit and you have to be flexible and ready to change plans in the second that something goes wrong. And it does go wrong. Like, I think that's a part of it. It's like you better prepare for that because it is going to all go hell, hell in a handbasket at some point. And I think the ability to be resilient, that's my favorite word. That was my entire word of 2022 is what separates the, you know, the men from the boys, the ladies from the girls. But thinking through your injection history, because you, you know, you, you come out with a physician, you learn how to inject. I mean, you're a phenomenal injector. I hear lots of great things about you. I've watched you inject. I've seen you on, you know, at a Threads thing at the conference last year at AN4. Like, I know that you're damn good at your job. So how did you learn, having come from one physician who's teaching you how to inject, what was your training path for that? Because I'm sure you've done a considerable amount of either shadowing on the job, learning, Give us kind of the that whole thing, because I feel like, again, that's one of the big misses. Like, how do I learn how to inject to be as good as Heather? Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. So, you know, the the polite way to say this is, you know, to tell injectors, obviously, to always do continuing education and to sharpen those tools. And and I would say that as well, just from a PR standpoint, uh, for injectors, you should always sharpen the tools and take continuing education as much as possible. But I think what makes me good at my job is that I have a very artistic side and also I'm sharp on my mathematics and science side. And I think that it takes both to be good at aesthetics. Uh, it's one of the first questions that I ask prospective uh, or prospect injectors, are you artistic? And, you know, not necessarily like can you paint, but do you have an artistic side, whether it's interior design or whatever the case may be, it's that left side brain where, you know, you can learn for days or for months, even for years, you can learn how to inject, but the clients that walk into your room might not be textbook from what you learn. So you have to be able to take a global assessment of somebody and, you know, be able to create a, a a treatment plan that's appropriate for that person. And I've been able to adopt that. And that's one of the reasons why, like even at your conference, Tiffany, I wanted to talk about the consultation process. If you categorize your treatments into four categories, it's a good way to use it towards every single client, but you can modify it to each person's needs. And one of the big things that I talk about is, you know, we should not give our clients unrealistic expectations and we should learn you know how to do certain injections but we should also learn when to apply those things and when to not apply those things so uh you know there's a lot of topic that i'd like to discuss on that um but i think just to answer your question and circle back having that artistic side and being able to apply it to each person while also being respectful of their priorities and also respectful of what you learned is what makes you a good injector. Well, I have a controversial question I'll ask you. I've never asked anybody this in the podcast before, but you seem like a good victim. Now, I have a thought, and this may be totally wrong, but I feel like if you understand anatomy, you understand you know the systems of the face, the physiology, 
the you know dermatopathology, all the sciencey things, all the words you can think of medical wise that you want to think and put into you know put into a spinner and pull one out. If you understand that, you can build and change and create your own techniques without knowing any not without knowing any, but without having all these things taught to you or prior knowledge you know bestowed upon you. I feel like if you know how to not be dangerous. And you know what things make what things happen, where to stimulate collagen, where to stimulate fat, how to relax a muscle. You can kind of do your own thing. Like you can map your own destiny without having to go to one million trainings to learn it from everyone else. Like you can be the person to make that new technique up, not go learn from somebody else. Am I crazy? I'm not saying don't come to AN 5.0 and learn people. Still buy the tickets and come. But I feel like you can kind of do your own thing. And I feel like that's kind of how the person that you are. You're just like, well, I know what not to do and I know how to do the right thing. So let me just make my own way. Exactly. I, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of being the trailblazer that we are, right? So the trainings are not there necessarily to teach you how to be an expert injector. They're just kind of to sharpen the things that you already learned and you might take away one or two things. But you're right. You know, if you understand anatomy, you understand the aging process, then you can do your own thing and find what makes you successful. For example, I think we way overuse filler and I don't think everybody needs to have cheeks because some people already have them. Why do we always start in the cheek area? So, you know, I, I go against the grain because I see when we go to these conferences, I want to attack people with Highland X all the time respectfully. <laughs> and, but, you know, and I say that respectfully because whenever I went to the last conference, I'm not kidding when I tell you that I, left the class that was taught about subtracting volume. I left that class, drove from Dallas to Fort Worth to my office and dissolved my cheeks using four vials of dissolver because, you know, it's a slippery slope. We don't realize that we go from looking normal to looking overfilled and using too much filler can age you. Um, using too much filler in the cheeks can create more problems and more benefits. So, my controversial answer back to you is that, you know, yeah, we could probably take a training and they're probably going to teach you to treat nasal labial folds by hitting the cheeks. And my controversial response to that is you might not need to put filler in the cheeks. You might need to treat nasal labial fold with threads and doing collagen regeneration versus pumping the face full of volume. I also disagree that filler can create lift to the face. I don't think that filler lifts the face. I think that it creates an illusion of a lift by decreasing shadows that are created from loss of volume. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's what our like veteran injectors are going to do is just test the theories and, you know, call people out whenever something doesn't sound right and create your own thing that works for you. But, you know, isn't it interesting because the whole lifting thing has become such a controversy, like cesspool but whether or not it lifts or not, I think it's become like a threads versus filler argument of I do threads, of course it lifts and filler won't lift. And I think we get so caught up in all of that that we forget that it's all science. Like it's all vectors and science and does it or does We can look at, we can even put them in like a Vizia or a vector and see did something change. Like we can actually measure the lifting you know, the capacity. But mm -hmm. I digress from that conversation. But I think that you're, you know, what you're saying about it's, it's high time as an industry that we look at alternative ways to age the face, like, you know, reverse age the face. And it's not cheeks. I couldn't, I can't tell you, Heather, my cheeks were the size of like, I don't even know. I said this all the time on the podcast. I had these awful, hideous, giant cheeks because every injector I went to in 2016 said cheeks, cheeks, cheeks. And my cheeks just got bigger and bigger. In about 2018, they were going to fall off my face. They were so big. And thank God they're all gone now because I already have a huge face. I look ridiculous with big cheeks. Absolutely ridiculous. 
but no one told me that, right? Because everyone's like, you just need more cheeks. So I'm all about your jawline and preregular. You know, there's pull your put sculpture in your scalp and pull your forehead back, like all the things you can do, right? There's alternatives, but all that to say, you had a great presentation at Aesthetic Next. Your whole consultation process is fantastic. How do you take all that that you know in your brain and teach that to your staff or even hire in the right staff? You mentioned prospective injectors to work with you so that, you know, you don't lose all of that genius in the mix. I mean, that's the beauty about uh, House of Beauty is the way that we're different is I don't really train them. I look for different qualities. We, we're more 1099, which, you know, some of them rent their rooms and some of them work from commission, but I'm able, I have the privilege of being able to pick these people um, by scratch. And, you know, you only hope that you pick them correctly because it's when you find staff, it's like going on a date. Everybody has the best qualities possible. And then you really find out who they are through the process of getting to know them. But I find like-minded people who focus on natural beauty driven injections and other techniques that are involved in not only anti-aging, but just in the beauty industry. So House of Beauty now is composed of, we have a hairdresser that does extensions and color. We have a permanent makeup artist. We have a a boutique style ear piercer that styles ears. We have lashes, facials, and then we have two injectors, myself and Samantha, and we have been working together for probably five years. Our styles are very similar, uh, but also very different because, you know, we each person has their own way of doing things. So, you know, what I look for is just people that can look at somebody and say, you're already beautiful. What do you like about yourself? first and foremost, so that we can start with something positive, but also so that I can assess what's going on in here. Cause you know, if, if you aren't okay in here, then there's nothing outside of this that's going to fix it. There's nothing in my room that's going to fix this. So, you know, I look for people like that, that I won't ever tell a patient that I'm going to make them look younger because it's not possible to look younger. It's possible to feel and look like the best version of who you are at the age that we are. And um, so trying to reverse that societal desire of wanting to be younger and aging being a devaluing system, it's hard. But uh, I try to look for people that are trying to be on the same mission, I guess, if you will. Uh, and that that's how we operate at House of Beauty. Well, it just occurred to me as you're talking, like House of Beauty is like truly a house of beauty. Like it has all the things. So I am big in that camp that I think you should be a wellness destination for people because they want to come to one place and get all their needs met. And people get really angry with me because it's not a medical clinic if you do that. It's no longer like a medical facility. I'm like, but it is. Wherever you, wherever you're standing, Heather, is a medical facility because you, I'm sure, are sterile and have all the things you need. And it's like doing home health, right? We do it for wound care all the time. But how did you decide? I think that's a pivotal pivotal business decision to say we're going to be all-encompassing of beauty needs, not just injections. How is that major business different than your competitors? Because you're in a very competitive environment in a very competitive town, and you're succeeding. And so give us some of the magic behind that decision and how that's helping you be successful and stay afloat and be profitable. And other people are not, unfortunately, in Texas. We see them close, as you know, all the time here in Texas. I think the magic is not being competitive. Honestly, I think the magic is being the most authentic version of what you want your business to be as possible and looking at your colleagues as collaborative opportunities versus competition. Because like I was mentioning before, 
you know, I could work with 20 different injectors in an environment where we're not necessarily under the same business name, but under our own business name. Let's say we're in a leasing office and we're all injectors and we all work for ourselves. I'm not worried about my clients leaving me because it's about the relationship and it's about the injection technique, obviously, but it's more about the relationship that you build with the client. So I will have no problem sending a client over to a colleague that offers a service that I don't have because I know they're going to come back to me and I know my colleague is going to send them back to me um, because the whole goal is to have optimal aesthetic results, not how much money can I make or how successful can I be? Uh, so that's really the magic in my opinion. Uh, but House of Beauty is just, I just think we're super cool because, you know, talking about moving forward in the future, I'm going to keep the concept of having this one-stop shop feel where you can walk in and you can get your hair done and you can get maybe your nails done and you can get your injections at the same spot. Uh, but how we're going to expand moving forward is we'll have one section that's a traditional med spa section. And then we'll have another section of the building where it is that leasing opportunity. So, and when you walk in, you feel like family. It's not very sterile. It's not very like highfalutin where we offer you a glass of champagne as you enter the premise. I come in and I offer you a hug and I ask you about what's happened with, you know, tell me the tea, <laughs> what's going on with your friend that we talked about before. And, you know, it's family. So that's where I lend my success is just getting to know the person as a human and not as a potential profit. Well, and thinking about expanding, are you going to bring the house of beauty concept to Dallas? Please say yes. Please say yes. You know, I, I, I was going to say, I love Dallas. I love hate Dallas, but I also have, you know, the same issues with Fort Worth too. We're thinking about expanding to another location. It's just hard because right now, my branding is Injector Heather versus House of Beauty. So that's kind of the goal moving forward is this year, we're just kind of settling into everything. Um, because as you know, there's a lot going on in my personal life as well. So this is a year of settle and work-life balance. But the goal moving forward, once we do figure out how to marry this concept of having different beauty industries in one spot and a traditional med spa that's together but separate, then we can market it as house of beauty and be able to replicate it because that's the whole point of business is to is to have that one name and then obviously eventually be able to sell it. Well, you're you are at the the most pivotal part I think in any entrepreneurial's any entrepreneur's journey is branding yourself versus branding your business. Like the timing couldn't be better. We had here in our office last actually yesterday, um, AMP, which is a group that's, you know, buying up med spas, making them into like, you know, this this really nice, incredible enterprise kind of thing. And those are the decisions that they talk about is like, is it the injector I'm buying or is it the med spa that I'm buying? And I think you mentioned, you know, your exit plan. That is such an important part of our industry right now. People who are thinking about getting purchased at some point or even retiring and, and selling their practice, you know, whenever they, you know, they're done doing it, is you can't sell you. You have to sell a business with its own brand, its own identity. So, what are the kind of steps you're taking? Because I've seen a lot more House of Beauty, by the way. So you're, you are taking steps. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing more House of Beauty um, to make that shift because you want to retain your personal you know, brand, obviously, but also build the business brand. So are there key things that you're doing differently or distinctly to start making that shift? It's coming soon. Um, I, I could feel it in my bones. But what I'm trying to do to get to that is, you know, put my concepts on paper, something tangible so that I can create a mission that everybody coming into House of Beauty can follow. 
Like this is how we treat our patients. It's just a standardized approach to treating patients and then also having that concept of leasing out to different businesses. So it's it's more about collaborating with House of Beauty versus, you know, me just posting on Injector Heather and, you know, Pres- Preston, my fiance the other day, he was like, who's going to be the next Injector Heather so that you can kind of take a step back and enjoy the fruits of your success. And, you know, normally I'm this hard person. Like I don't cry because crying is weak until I met Preston. And then all of a sudden I'm this like sentimental, emotional person, which is really awkward for me and uncomfortable. But I had this like single tear come down and I was like, I don't know what that is. But, um, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, I've really been praying on how to do that business-wise. And then really it's just about reaching out to others that have successfully done that and finding people that are willing to share, you know, steps that they've taken to do that. So yeah, I'm still in the learning process of that and trying to figure it out, but I'm hoping my goal is uh, 2025 to expand it out and to brand it as House of Beauty versus Injector Heather. Well, I like a challenge, so we're going to get you there in 2024. I just feel it. (laughs) But I I have many great names for you, people who have done this successfully, that I'm happy to share, who I know would love to talk to you about it. But I appreciate so much your vulnerability of saying, like, I don't know the answer yet, but I'm getting there. But I do think that it's, you know, we have a person here whose only job at AR is writing SOPs and writing protocols and improving our business, like continuous improvement. That's his only, that's his full-time job as a senior manager here at our company. Because I can tell you having the protocols be the same everywhere you go Gosh, you, especially medicine, as you know, medicine is even more important. That part of it, you know, not even the business aspect is so important and it takes forever and it's so much work. People just don't do it. They just choose not to scale because it's really hard to scale. So I applaud you, first of all, for knowing that it's hard and doing it. And I think you'll get there way. I know you enough now that before 2025, you'll already have another location open. I'm, I have no doubt you have already done it. But it is a big decision. It is a big, you know, you're in the middle of a, a crazy part of your life, which we'll get to in a little bit. Some exciting things happening in your own life. But on top of all this, if you being the injector full time, you know, doing this all the time, having House of Beauty, you just took on a gain appointment, I've learned, and you're also doing some training with threads. Where does that fit into your life? And how how do you decide with amongst all of this to devote your time to also now training others? Yeah, that's a great question also <laughs> that uh, that I need to, to figure that out. So I just got offered the training position with gain and my work schedule has gotten a little bit lighter um, by choice. I'm taking Fridays off eventually so that I can devote that to training. Um, for threads, it's going to be more of a private training sector through the company so that we can plan out in the future or ahead of time so that I'm not having to juggle all of that. If I have it on the calendar you know, weeks ahead of time, then it's not as overwhelming as if they're like, can you train this Thursday? And I'm like, there's no way. So I've become really protective of my time and energy and where I put that forth. So um, on the training aspect of it, it is a to be continued thing since I'm just jumping into it. I do have a passion for training, but as you know, uh, I started House of Beauty Academy as an on-demand virtual training because that allows me to put training modules out there without me being there in person, uh, but being available for those people, you know, virtually, which is the silver lining to 2020 is we've, we learned how to be creative with our, our online on-demand opportunities. So that's, that's my thoughts moving forward. And then, you know, 
life in general, figuring out all the personal stuff and how to fit into it is really just about prioritizing and making sure that I'm putting the energy where it needs to go. Well, House of Beauty Academy, I want to talk about that for a second. I'm glad that you segued there because for one thing, I think you're right. Virtual is, you know, people want to watch things in the, you know, in their own house in their pajamas. I watch webinars all the time. I'll turn them on and do other things, but I'm still listening, you know, in the background watching things. I think it's, for one, it's the way it's the way that we're all going, right? We learn virtually because we don't have time to go physically. I think Patreon's great, but I, it's also a lot going on on Patreon to find things. It's just kind of chaotic for me. You have a, you're using Kajabi. You're using a whole system to do it. I saw it today. And you have a great module on there called something about the Starburst Lip. And I'm dying to know. I didn't click on it to watch, to, to buy it. What is a Starburst Lip? Give us the deets because that's a really fun name, by the way. I hope you trademarked it. So... It's kind of like what you were saying, where if you learn the anatomy of something, you can create your own technique. And, uh, you know, people, it's kind of controversial whenever you do that, because people are like, oh, you know, baby Botox, that's not a real thing. And that used to bug me. I'd have clients come in like, well, how much for baby Botox? And I'm like, it's literally the same thing, but you're just younger, but your dose is still calculated the same way as if you were 50. I'm looking at your muscles and I'm still going to assess the dose appropriately. Uh, so Starburst technique came about because I was taking multiple lip training and, you know, we all end up utilizing similar approaches, but then we make our own way of doing things after we do the training. So uh, Starburst technique is just a universal technique that I've adopted that works for 99% of my clients, um, you know, with the exception being the M-shaped lip, which we all love. Um, but even with the M-shaped lip, you're doing a similar approach, but I show in the video how to do things a little bit differently and how to talk to your clients a little bit differently so you can manage those expectations because we all know that if you have an M-shaped lip that's super thin, you're going to need more than one syringe, but you're going to need to space it out and do it appropriately so that you don't get a weird migrated duck lip. So um, Starburst technique is just a an approach where you take different techniques that we've learned and I show you on a really uh, high definition view with a demo patient, but I also teach you how to talk to your client in the consultation process, how to explain the process to them while you're doing your technique, and then also the aftercare so that you can limit these phone calls that you get on day two where they're freaking out. If you prepare your client appropriately, I will guarantee that they won't call you for at least two weeks. Well, I think what you're mentioning there is what we miss in trainings in general, like how to sell it. And I mean, sell it like not even just money wise, like sell it as far as like the consultation, what's going to happen to you? Do you want to do it next? You know, all selling it like, you know, persuasive speaking. We forget that all the time. I think about that even with Aesthetic Next and our modules and our workshops, it's like we should spend half the time on how to talk to the patient and how to get them to say yes and how to do it, like how to actually physically get the thing done to start injecting. Like forget the injection part. We'll learn that. But I think we forget like the ancillary component of it. Um, I had silk a few years ago, and they're going to hate me for saying this, but I had wrestling silk, and I have been selling it for years at Galderma. And my lips were the size of like a baboon's butt. I mean, they were so big, Heather. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I could barely breathe. They're like so big. They were like holding up my nose. But <laughs> I knew, I knew what to expect because I had, had been selling it forever and knew that your lips swell like to God, the high heavens. Had I been a patient of that injector and not been told that, I would have gone to the ER. I would have thought I was having a reaction and gone to the ER and like begged for them to like holler on a day's the whole thing out. But I knew. And so it was like, you know what? It looks like ridiculous for two or three days and it was fine. But I think I have patients who don't know the answer and they start to swell or 
I think about Quo. Quo's entire demise was based on the fact that no one told patients, by the way, if you go have another procedure that's surgical to get rid of cellulite, it's going to be far worse than this. This is nothing. Suck it up, buttercup. Put on a Spanx and go. Like, we just didn't set expectations, right? So we have to have this entire thing shut down because of expectation setting. We just missed that here. Why don't we talk about that more? Why don't we teach that to people? Because we should really be talking about setting expectations. Absolutely. Expectations. Once you learn how to speak to your patient, once you learn how to communicate to them and prepare them for what they're about to go through, your job will be so much easier because what we forget to understand is we're in this industry every single day. We are used to seeing things. We're used to saying certain things over and over and over again. We're used to being hypercritical of everything, even on our own face. So you can imagine somebody that is brand new to injections and they get their lips done and we forget to tell them that day two is the worst swelling day possible even with preparing the client as much as possible, there still are some clients that are going to call. And I tell every single patient, if you call me or message me on day two, I'm happy to talk you off the filler ledge. But I will tell you the same thing I tell everybody else. You're doing a great job. Your healing is appropriate to where you are in the healing phase that you're on. I know this is an emotional roller coaster, but keep on writing. You've got two more weeks. And, you know, you can imagine that these clients are going to freak out because any millimeter of change is going to change their appearance. And we get so used to seeing ourselves every day that when there's a minor change, we're not going to see it like the general public would see it. What might be a very subtle difference to somebody not looking at them is going to be a huge difference to them. So it's just really, in my opinion, it's really important to tell your patient what they're about to go through. And it's also really important to remind them that before lip filler, their lips are asymmetrical. After lip filler, your lips are asymmetrical because that will save you a whole lot from having to deal with, well, this side's a little bit you know, higher than the other. That's normal. That's normal. That's how we were born. And with your brows, as you get toxins, same thing. Like you already had a wonky eye. You still have a wonky eye. But take pictures, people. Like I can't, I was reading a, um, a statistic, I think yesterday, day before. It's like 60% of practitioners don't take before pictures. Like think of all the chaos in their life, Heather. When that person comes back and says, my lip looks crazy. Well, let's look at your before picture. Your lip was already crazy. Like I made it less crazy. And you can't, what do you stand on? That? Do you go get their filtered selfie off Facebook and say, look at you here, but they've already fixed it on Facetune. Like, those, yeah, those injectors thrive in chaos. I don't know how else to explain that. They just, they love chaos and drama and they're just asking for it we hear it at ar all the time like well it just takes so much time thinking that call you get and that person who's freaking out and doing all that that hour and hour and hour every day that you're spending on like babysitting them could have been a 10 second photo like literally let's think about the time you're wasting it's front end versus back end time but i digress on that topic too because that right there pictures what they set me off i'm like take the dang picture save it's yourself. A, that's a whole nother episode we can spend an hour talking about before and after pictures for days Yes, we should bring Christian Subio into that. I love his Instagram and he like calls the baby ugly all the time. But speaking of that, I want to talk about your podcast because I know, uh, first of all, the name Sex, Love and Injectables is fantastic. I found you right after COVID. I was, you know, we were all still kind of at home listening to podcasts all the time. And I was like, who is this like gorgeous model who's an injector? You had this amazing picture, which you still have with like you're wearing this like lace mask, I think, in some of your photos. Like, who is she? I listened to it. I was like, oh, my God, she's freaking hyster- You're hysterical. It's hilarious, but it's also very informative, but it's also very funny. How did you go with the idea for the podcast, and where did the name come from? 
Oh my gosh. So it was very ironic because I had gone on a, uh, one of my call, not, I can't say colleague, but, um, a woman in our city had a podcast. She invited me on to talk about injections and, you know, like everybody else, I was like, maybe I should have a podcast, but I didn't know where to start with it. So the irony in that is I took those content photos prior to COVID. And so it was like this, magical thing that happened where COVID happened and everybody had to wear a mask. And I was like, okay, the masks suck. However, I just had this content shoot where I'm wearing a lace mask. Like this couldn't be any more perfect. So I met with the producer that I was going to work with and we just literally brain dumped for about an hour, which if you haven't done that before, it's the best time ever. You just start listing things that come to your mind. And we had the dumbest names for the podcast ever. But what stuck out was sex, love and injectables, which it was heavy on the injections and not so much the other stuff because just the way that my life was. But um, sex, love and injectables just came through that brain dumping session because, you know, you could talk about literally everything. I wanted to talk about injections, but I also wanted to talk about life because I had just gone through a divorce. I wanted to talk about the process of healing. I wanted to talk about dating because people always say there's plenty of fish in the sea, but the sea is like the Trinity River, which if you're not in Texas, the Trinity River is like a sewage river and the fish are like dead in the river. So I wanted to talk about that because people wanted to share their dating disasters and I wanted to hear it because I wanted to know that I wasn't alone. And so did everybody else, because sometimes when you're going through it, you think you're the only one going through it. So a podcast is a really great way to inform others that we're all in this together and we are all going through it. So um, pandemic happened and it just gave me the perfect opportunity to start because I didn't have an excuse anymore. I couldn't be like, I'm too busy to record. I had all the time in the world because I was furloughed from the corporate job that I was working at the time. And um, I didn't know what furlough meant until that happened. And so I was sitting at home, which was nice for like two days. But if you're ADD, which all of us suffer from, if you're an entrepreneur, then you get bored. And so I started recording some podcast episodes and, you know, making fun of things that probably shouldn't be made fun of, but everybody wanted to. So it was kind of controversial, but that's, that's kind of where we were. And then moving forward, you know, I took a big break from it, from life happening and a lot of radical changes that took place in my life as well. So now it's, it is geared more towards injections and it will be more personalized and talk about life as well, but just on a different scale, like a grown-up version. It's almost like 2020 is the teenage version of it, and now we're growing up. I know how that feels, going from season one to season three. And people don't realize that's a lot of work to do a podcast. Like, I mean, this is not, it's no small feat. All the promotional things, the audiograms, the videograms, the set, the recording. The, I mean, I have a full production team here. I've got cameras everywhere. I've got live. I, mean, I have a studio Right. I think people who don't have that, like it's a lot. I mean, Scott Callahan and I discussed this. He's like, someone sponsored me. I need to ha- I need cameras. I need lights. I need things. It's a lot of freaking work. But but it is fantastic. And I'm glad that you're back with it because I have been missing it in your absence. But I know you've had a very busy personal life. And I want to touch on that before we roll off here, because you've got some cool things that are unique about you that, again, you're sort of a I am who I am. And I don't apologize for that. We're currently in sober Heather land, which I think is fabulous. Um, and we also have, you know, a new fiance. But I also think that your your ability to talk about your religion in a way that no one gets upset with you and gets like crazy about it. You're so 
um, you're forward with it, your religious beliefs, but you're not putting it on people. So I think you've got this really cool thing right now that all the things that we don't ever want to talk about, you are all those things and you're living them and you're doing it really well. So let's start with that. Like as far as like the religious part of you, I think our industry, in a sense, people think that we're not religious because we, you know, we change our faces and we change. People say, you know, we're we're against the Lord's work, you know, changing all the faces. But you're standing firm in those beliefs. So how did you like get the gumption to say, I'm going to put this all out publicly and like celebrate it all on social media? Absolutely. You know, I've always been unapologetically authentic with, you know, as I was growing up, there was always a little false sense of happiness and false sense of fulfillment in the things that we do in society that make us, that give us comfort, right? So um, first and foremost, I think that we've become really soft and we get scared to talk about our beliefs because we think we're going to offend people. And, you know, I don't know where we failed, where like me telling you my beliefs mean that I don't respect yours. That's not the case. Just because I believe in something doesn't mean I'm not going to hear you and listen to you. You know, I'll still be kind and respectful, but, um, you know, I, I was a soft Christian and I was scared to talk about my religion just for fear that people wouldn't follow me anymore. But that's that like fear of acceptance and fear of rejection. And, you know, once you stand firm in your beliefs and you start talking about it, the journey to get here has been so incredible. And I can tell you first and foremost, I know that I'm working in a position that uh, that God led me to. Anytime somebody asks me that, uh, asks me how I get into aesthetics, my answer is God. Um, you know, yes, we we're doing things to modify uh, how we look, but we're still treating our body as a temple. I mean, I could argue that you going to the gym and changing yourself to become more muscular is also changing the way that your body is. So. I'm I'm really big on, you know, really preaching that when somebody comes into my room, I am building their confidence and I'm doing things that's going that are going to help them age gracefully. Um, we're not hurting our bodies. I've I've also like done in vitro, you know, to have my beautiful twins. And, you know, some people are against that too. You know, if you really look at who our God is, it, God is just a very loving person that is just patient and gentle and wants to see us be happy and live fulfilling lives that glorify him. So, um, you know, I can tell you my journey from that has been a really hard one. I, I came from nothing. I came from a drug ridden, um, poverty filled childhood where I blamed God for putting me in, not realizing that the world that we live in is where evil resides, right? Like that's just, it is what it is. So, you know, it is, it is a controversial topic, but I can tell you for a fact that um, my sobriety is what really propelled my faith walk. And I was just living a life beforehand that was pretty empty and um, just doing the same thing over and over again and drinking with friends, going out with friends and like thinking that that was me living my best life. And then I just felt this nudge where it was like, what is this doing for you? And I didn't have an answer. Uh, you know, for me, alcohol fueled my anxiety. It was like putting a gasoline on it. Uh, my mental health was suffering. Um, I had fear of what did I post that night? Uh, did I ever wake up thankful that I drank? No. I couldn't come up with one advantage to drinking. So I just kind of took inventory of my life and challenged myself to take 30 days off, 
with the intention of just taking 30 days off because everything is surrounding it. Like I was like, well, I definitely need to do this before football season. I definitely need to do this before the holidays. I definitely need to do this before my birthday because all I could think about were these things that um, had alcohol surrounding it, which it's glamorized everywhere. And so when I got to 30 days, um, I started going to church more because I wasn't hung over on Sundays anymore. So kind of like I had no excuse. So I was going to church more. I felt better. My brain fro- brain fog was clear. Um, my eyes were brighter. My skin looked better. And so then I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. And so I kept doing this. And I, the funny thing is I dropped the Rolodex of good morning men, which is what I called them. Good morning men are men that text you all the time, like good morning, beautiful, but it doesn't lead anywhere. So I dropped them and I made this agreement like with myself and with God that I was just going to be single. I was going to go to therapy because I had gotten out of a really awful relationship, which I know you know about. And so I just made this decision that I was going to focus on me and do therapy, be single. And um, I ended up praying about a mission trip that I wanted to do. I just, not anything in particular, but I was like, just, you know, help me, lead me to a more fruitful trip that I can, I can take that will um, just contribute to people because I have a heart to serve. And, um, and so I prayed about that. And the very next day, Preston, my fiance messaged me on Facebook. We'd, we were kind of acquaintances for a couple of years, uh, but he messaged me saying, Hey, this is really random, but we're going to Uganda on a mission trip. And I thought that you would really benefit from going with us. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, first of all, I was like, why are you sending me this man? Like I made an agreement to be single. Um, but also I didn't want to tell Preston and come off as a crazy person. So I was like, you know, sure. Send me the info and I'll take a look at it and see if I can fit it into my schedule. Um, but all that to say, like he sent me these incredible messages. And from there it was just, it was game over hook, line and sinker. I didn't know how it was going to work. Cause he lived in Chicago. I lived in Texas. And then there was just these weird parallels where um, he lived 20 minutes from my childhood home in Chicago because that's where I was born. We talked for like three hours every night, which, I mean, you can relate to this. We don't do phones nowadays. Like, I don't talk on the phone. I don't want to talk on the phone, but he was just a grounding place for peace for me. And so, um, yeah, four months later, he proposed and I was like, I would, I was waiting, like, I feel like I was waiting 20 years for this or now I'm 37. I've waited 37 years for this man. And um, it all started with me making a change and trusting God and putting down the thing that was keeping me from making my relationship stronger, which was alcohol for me. So, um, so yeah, it's not, I'll never push my agenda on people. And I think that that's why it's easy for me to talk about it. Um, I don't ever disrespect other people's religions. My whole prerogative now is to show people that you can come from similar backgrounds. You can come from adversity. You can come from, come out of abusive relationships. You can come out of um, really terrible situations and realize that you can use those tests for testimony to help others. Because if you're a perfect person, which none of us are, But if you're a perfect person going to a broken person and saying, this is God, God is great, the broken person is not going to feel worthy enough to follow God. But you have to remember that God used broken people to find others to lead it, lead them to him. So that's that's my whole prerogative. And, you know, if you talk to me a year ago, 
I don't even recognize her, me. I don't recognize that person. Um, and to this day now, you know, we're starting a nonprofit this year that's going to support sex trafficking victims and victims of prostitution who've been groomed into it all through a Christian centered around Christ. And then I'm still working as an injector. And I think that's exactly where I need to be. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, like a whole <laughs> lot. First of all, kudos to, to you getting married. She has this gorgeous ring on. You guys can't see it. But if you're not watching on YouTube or Spotify, go watch it. She has a gorgeous ring on. Her fiance, by the way, is also gorgeous. <laughs> Neither here nor there. NBD, Heather. At least she got a good looking one. No, but, I, you know, I think that what you mentioned about alcohol, we had our, our company event here, our national sales meeting, and I drank a few nights in a row. And I don't, I'm not really a big drinker anymore. I can't do it anymore. I'm too old. So a couple of drinks a night, you know, max. But the serotonin crash, I was depressed all weekend long. I felt like crap. I felt stressed. I felt anxious. And I was like, why do I feel like this? Nothing is going wrong. I mean, nothing big is happening. It's like the serotonin crash. I think your whole life just has this, I don't know, this weird filter on it when you drink a lot that you can't. And I'm not used to drinking a lot. And so it, was just like, it, it wrecked my life. Like I was wrecked this weekend. I Not even hung over, just like. Um, the anxiety is what my, one of my colleagues calls it. The anxiety was terrible. So I, I, I agree with you in that regard of like, I, I can take it or leave it. Socially drinking, yes. But for me, the partying days of like drinking a lot. For one thing, we have too much at stake now. When you have companies, people who look up to you and whose lives depend on you, you cannot take that lightly. Like that is, you have to be on your game. But I, I love what you said about, you know, you don't push on anybody. It's your, it's your own thing and you're sharing your testimony and you're sharing what's happened to you and how you've grown through it. And I think, whether or not you're a religious person, spiritual person, to hear that people can come from the things that you've come from and to learn and grow and develop and become very successful and to have a true generational change and, like, you know, right the wrongs of their upbringing is a remarkable thing. And one that, I, I mean, I for the first time ever, I think I might want to cry on our podcast. Like, it's truly an emotional thing that I think you should, I hope that you are so proud of yourself and hope that your, hope that your kids see you, especially your daughter, see you and know what you've gone through and how much you've worked to get here and like what a, a beautiful story that is so I don't know I'm gonna have to not cry for a second so um, pick back up and keep talking <laughs> I know I'm so sorry but yeah it's just it's been a it's been a life changer for me and and again I'll never push my agenda on anybody else but I can tell you that on the other side of uh, drinking on the sobriety side uh, it's just it's a it's a crazy thing we can I see alcohol glamorized so much more than I ever have and it's the only drug that's as addictive as it is that is the most painful death that you can suffer from it's the only drug that you can die from the withdrawal on and um you know it's the only drug that when you tell people you quit people ask you why instead of congratulations you can do it and so when when something like that happens you have to take a step back and wonder why that is and so i I will challenge people and just say, you know, what does it do for you? Why don't or why do you drink? When I tell people I don't drink and they ask me why, I say, why do you? Um, I just it just didn't work for me in my life. And I'll never judge others that do. My friends, you know, some of them still drink and I won't judge at all. It's just it's just a different stage of my life now. And um, I would think probably in the next 10 years, alcohol will be looked at like cigarettes were back in the 40s and 50s when it was so popular that you'd smoke a cigarette on an airplane because it was glamorized. It was sexy. You had, you know, Marilyn Monroe smoking cigarettes. It looked really cool. Same thing with alcohol. At some point, it's going to be replaced by something else. And, you know, people nowadays are like, that's never going to happen. But I'm like, just wait, just watch. Things change. They do. Yeah. The Flintstones used to smoke <clears throat> in cartoons. I don't 
you're I'm a little bit older than you are, not a whole a whole lot. But the Flintstones smoked when I was a little bitty kid. I was like, what the heck? Now looking at that, I'm like, that's insane. But to your point, I mean, no one knew. Everyone's doing it. But you know, I think you've proven in this podcast that you kind of beat to your own drum, do your own thing confidently. Um, and I think probably because of your experiences and just feeling confident in who you are. But as we kind of wrap up here, you know, first of all, Aesthetic Next 5.0, you better be there again doing yeah. something. I don't know what yet, but you better be there. But what all things are you doing this year? What's on your, your docket besides eloping to get married? Like what's what else is happening for you in 2023? I'm just going to live life and find that work-life balance, which is really hard to find. I'm going to, um, you know, work to live and not live to work. And like I said, we're starting that nonprofit. So I'm, I'm anxious to help others that are struggling in similar journeys that, that I've been through and, um, I'm hoping to help as many people as I can in that realm. And just, you know, I just want to like make life worth living and, um, you know, figure out my business and how we are going to scale it. That is on my priority. And then, you know, enjoy my fiance, enjoy my kids, get this elopement going and, you know, just find a more fulfilling, fruitful way to live. I love it. I wish my goal for this year is to be balanced and fruitful i i envy you with your goals mine is to survive literally to survive <laughs> i'm kidding but not, but not but i'm not really kidding no but for the record i have loved having you on you know the fact that you're just down the street and i never see you makes me sad i should definitely we should make an effort at some point to get us all together all, all the dallas dfw girls and do some fun things but i can't wait to see you again soon hopefully to set it next and look for your major success with house of beauty and personally I'm looking for all the beautiful pictures of you and your fiance and of your children. By the way, guys, she's a mother of twins. And if you saw her body, you'd be sick to your stomach as to why that's even possible. Like, it shouldn't be possible. But, you know, I look forward to more podcast episodes. Keep it coming. I enjoy it. If nobody else does, I know I do. I'm sure they all do, too. But, um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. And, yeah, we will we'll be here waiting to see all of your success. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm looking forward to definitely getting back into Aesthetic Next. I will be there um, doing more podcasts and then collaborating with you in different capacities. It should be exciting. It's going to be an exciting year. I'm surviving too. I'm just making it sound really nice. (laughs) Well, you'll be thriving. I'll be surviving. But for all of you (laughs) listening, we will see you again next week for episode 54. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.